Conservatives Podcast, episode 140. It is me, your host, Evan, here with the now infamous Gabe Montalvo, host of Talking GOP and Empire State Conservative Network contributing writer. And today we have a very special guest, Yehudis Gottesfeld, running for the House of Representatives out of New York 17, which is Westchester and Rockland County. Guys, just a reminder here to check out our brand new Emperor Cuomo shirt and all of all their gear at EmpireStateConservativeNetwork.com slash store. Every cent goes back into spreading conservative values in New York and helping expand our reach. Judas, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. I know we're kind of all social distancing, but we made it work. (laughs) Yeah. Um, If you could just give the folks at home a little bit of your background of why you wanted or where, you know, where you come from and why you decided to run for New York 17. Yeah, so I'm a uh, chemical environmental nuclear engineer. I come from New York. I grew up in the district in Rockland County. Um, My family always worked in Westchester County, and that's part of the district as well. And so I kind of grew up appreciating both sides. I went to local community college, you know, uh, ended up working my way up, uh, then went to Columbia University. you know, I decided to run because I'm a chemical engineer. You know, it's not one of those things where generally a chemical engineer goes into politics. We usually enjoy the life. We enjoy what we do. Um, and I very, very much do. But seeing politics and seeing especially people in and being having this one mindset of socialism when I think we can all understand that there's a matter of balancing a budget. And it's a matter of do I want the government to force me to do something? And do I want the government to pay to take half of my paycheck? I want, no, I want to be able to provide for my family. And it was something that I saw the country going in that direction, the younger generation going in that direction. And we're, we're really the future of this country. And, you know, putting my uh, chemical engineering career on hold and saying, I'm going to run for Congress to represent our country and bring the values of family, faith, and freedom back to Congress as, you know, giving a voice to the younger generation and being a strong voice in Congress for these values. So the Democrats can't say, oh, you don't support women, you don't support the younger generation, you're just, you know, what their stereotypes are, because it's not true. I think these values are something that Americans have and Americans believe are right. And that's what's motivated me to uh, get up and run for Congress. I think that's absolutely where we need to be. Um, That's basic American values. And the Democrat Party has definitely lost sight of that but you told us before that you one of the big things you're running on is less government, which means lowering taxes, obviously. Um, what is your plan for that? You know, everyone talks about less government, lowering taxes, but, you know, what are we doing in order to keep the government functioning, but also, you know, taking less of the people's money, which I'm all for? Yeah, I think there's so many inefficiencies. You know, when we talk about less taxes, what the Democrats like to do is they like to come out and say, well, you're going to be causing that poor person on the street to starve or, you know, you're going to be getting rid of people's benefits. And, you know, um, that's not the case. When we talk about lowering taxes, we talk about getting rid of corruption. We talk about getting rid of inefficiencies. We all care about the underprivileged. We all care about those who can't take care of themselves. You know, I gave uh, most of my life, I think over, uh, I think it's been over 10 years towards helping the uh, mentally disabled and physically disabled communities, right? We all care for people. We all have big, big hearts, but it's the inefficiency. It's when government comes in and, you know, our president talks about draining the swamp. It's, it's true. And that's what's causing the high taxes, or at least the way that if we get rid of that, we can lower taxes. 
I 100% agree. I mean, it's there. There's just way too much. There's too many departments. There's too much bureaucracy going on. Too many unelected officials in Washington. Um, do you think that you kind of have an advantage as an outsider where you can see the corruption as opposed to people who have just been sitting in Washington where you kind of get blind to it? I think so. And I think, you know, coming as an outsider is, you know, really chemical engineer. You know, I'm doing this because I care about my country, because I care about the people in my district and because I want a better future for all of us. And, you know, not being an outsider has the advantage of being able to do what's right and not, um, not being a part of that, you know, of the, the swamp, I guess. Um, and so I, I really think I can, you know, I don't plan on being in government forever. Um, you know, I think we can come in, make changes, lower taxes, reduce government control, you know, reduce regulations in, in, in industries that are unnecessary. And once we do that, have people then come over and uh, take over who can promote the same values and keep that going. Um, you know, so I think it's when people go in with the wrong mindsets. I think that's kind of the part of the problem. Um, but I'm, re- I'm definitely going in to help the American people to help our country and to bring our values back. Dave, anything? I just think that it's great. You know, your story is you started off, uh, you know, very uh, locally going to community college and pursuing your dream in Columbia University um, and are now I guess I also believe that you're enrolled in a doctorate program where you were previously involved and you put that on hold to serve the American people. And correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, I think that that's a great thing. And I think it's very um, admirable. Yeah, and I, and I think that that's what the American dream is about, you know. And when we talk about the American dream and we ask a lot of people, do you think the American dream is still alive? A lot of people say no. And, you know, the fact is the American dream is still alive. It's the mindset. It's the mindset of, you know, what the, the Democratic Party and, you know, I hate hitting on them, but there's just so much wrong right now that we need to fix there. Um, but, you know, when they're telling people that they can't succeed, that they can't do things, that they need to rely on the government. And that's just not true. You know, I, I started out of a community college. You know, I paid for everything I've had you know, from there on out. And, you know, you, you work your way up. And when I, uh, I, I, was, got, I was accepted to the uh, PhD program at Columbia University, I started working for a little bit. Uh, within government in the uh, water water systems in New York and ended up getting accepted to Columbia's PhD program and uh, deciding to pursue research there. Um, and, but it's, it's, it's true. It's the, it's the American dream and it's what, um, you know, it's what we need to show America. It's what we need to bring back to America. So I think it's a matter of, you know, just being able to having lived the American dream and, you know, having experienced it starting from nothing and really, building my way up. I think it's something that we need to bring back to America. And it's something that we need to inspire that hope in Americans that we can all still achieve the American dream and make it easier with equality of opportunity so that everybody can really achieve the American dream. I was just going to ask, were you always a Republican? Were you a moderate and white? Or, you know, if you were a walk away, how come you switched over to the um, Republican Party? Uh, so I was not. I was never a Democrat. You know, I mean, uh, growing up, yeah, a lot of Jews are Democrats, um, just traditionally, um, you know, and I think we—that's um, that's kind of a stereotype, and there are reasons for that. Um, I haven't always been a registered Republican. When I started out, as actually an independent, um, you know, kind of having Republican values. My family's always had Republican values. Um, you know, my family's uh, always been a Republican family. But going out, you know, when I was eighteen, I decided I'm going to be independent and I'm going to choose my own path. And so. Uh, 
I started out there and then soon after I switched to the Republican Party, realizing, you know, th th there's just no question about it. Yeah, I, I think you really hit on it, though. Is it's not that the American dream is dead. It's that people have lost the drive to work for it. People want things handed to them nice and easy. You know, you take out your phone and you can access anything on the Internet. They want the same way with the American dream. They want to finish college, get that job right out of college and just in a few years be able to buy a house and be, you know, on the way to being millionaires. And that's not the way. Yeah, I mean, I took a terrible job that I didn't like right after college, you know, because I mean, that's what you do. You work your way up, you know, and I went to so, uh, social events with different, um, you know, groups and I was a part of the chemist club and I be ended up uh, working my way up in the chemist club, which is a prestigious club of uh, in New York city with uh, uh, Merck and DuPont and big chemical companies, um, you know, to, till I was running events there and, you know, worked my way up in that. But I think that it's, you know, you have to start out from those jobs. And it's one of those things where right now we have um, all these uh, giveaways that the government is giving out. And when people get comfortable with living off the government and kind of having this quasi-socialist government, I don't think it's good for our country. I don't think it's good for our country to, for people to get used to and get comfortable to living off the government, taking off the government. Yeah, because then the government decides that they're taking it away and you're left with nothing. Yeah, and that's going to happen. And it's not because the government's mean, but it's because there's a limited amount of money. There's only so much that can go around. And I think it's, it's one of the fact that there isn't is one of the lies that people have been told. I mean, everybody knows when they go home, there's a limited amount of money. You have to balance your budget. The government is the same way. Money comes from somewhere. I mean, didn't CNN just report that the entire world was $24 trillion in debt or something like that? I don't know who we're in debt to. Like, how can the whole world be in debt? That doesn't make any sense. I think we're, yeah, and I think right now, like, personally, I think after this whole coronavirus, I think China should should uh, take away our debt. I think they should forgive our debt. We should just cancel it. I don't, I don't think we need to ask for permission for that. They caused all this nonsense. But, <laughs> but I, I think, I think they do need to pay, and I think that's one of the ways they're going to need to pay. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing coming out of this coronavirus will be fixing the economy. So to get it back up and running, to get small businesses going, which are the backbone of this economy, even though, you know, Walmart and Target can be open, but, you know, your local shops can't because, you know, they're too small to keep clean, apparently, or they're too small to, you know, be able to have people social distance. What would you bring you know to the Fed in order to help these small businesses get up and running without, you know, increasing taxes or, you know, increasing spending too much? I mean, I think it's wrong that the small businesses shouldn't be running and business, big businesses should, right? A lot of it, I think, is government interest, you know, where big businesses may donate more to governments and small businesses may not. And I think the, the big businesses are at an advantage when they don't have the small businesses because there's less competition for them. So it's in their advantage. You know, the small businesses are struggling and that's, you know, the mom and pop shops. There's so many families that are really, really struggling from that. And, you know, we'll see the, we'll see the effects of it afterwards. And I think, you know, getting the economy back up and running, making it so that if you have, if you're at a high risk, if you have the virus or if you need or choose to stay home, you can, you can work from home. But for the other people who are taking care of themselves and want to take the, you know, go out with a mask and with all the precautions, it's kind of just like, you know, if someone else has a flu, you know, someone had a low immune system, they wouldn't just walk out without a mask. My brother had cancer for two and a half years. He had a low immune system for his entire life. And he wouldn't walk out without a mask when his immune system was really low. And he understood that his life was at danger. And I think we can all do that as Americans, as you know, common sense individuals. We can understand that when our life is at danger, we want to take precautions. And the government shouldn't have to, you know, kind of treat us as children and say that 
you know, you can't do this and this and this, and you can't go to work because we want to work. And that's a good thing. We should, we should be incentivizing and promoting people to go out of work. I mean, that is the biggest problem is that the government has replaced parents in a large portion of Americans' homes. And that is what, that's what's led to this big government mindset where people are looking at Bill de Blasio who goes, oh, you guys can't protest. It's like, well, you can't tell us we can't protest. You can't tell and us it's one can't of, and you can't tell us we can't say what we want to say. That's not your job to do that. That's yeah, and it's one of the most right. insulting things, you know, like when they tell women that, you know, we have to be a Democrat or, you know, we have to think this and this and this. And it's like, what, you know, you think we can't think for ourselves? You know, we think you think that we can't we can't think and decide to do what's best for ourselves. You know, you'd, why do you need to tell me what to do? Why do I need to give you my money so that you can then do what you want, what you think is in the best interest for me with my money, right? I can't think for myself. I can't decide what's best for me and my family with my money. And I think it's only insulting. There's no other word for it. It's just insulting. Mm-hmm. And it's so weird that we're seeing that the idea of the nuclear family, family culture being brought back through this lockdown, the stay and whatever you want to label it. And it seems that a good portion of parents on social media are posting how difficult it is. You know, it's almost as if they weren't, this wasn't their job as parents in the first place is to take care of their own kids. But well, I think a lot of parents out. work, you know, a lot of parents work in that right. society. You know, it is very, very difficult to be at home with kids the entire day when, you know, you, may not be used to that, you know, going out to work, you kind of have a break. Um, and I think it's, it's extremely difficult to be with them the entire day when they're sitting over you and screaming over you, you know, they're not in school, they're not with their teacher or whatever. Um, so I think that's kind of where a lot of that's coming from. Um, but there is something to parenting that we've lost in the society. Another big thing that we had a problem with before this virus is that a large portion of our economy, a lot of our medicine and stuff like that and essentials were coming from China. How do we avoid that pitfall next time we have something like the coronavirus where we can avoid a lockdown, where we don't have to wait on supplies? It doesn't have to be, oh, we don't have tests. Oh, we don't have masks because, you know, we have them stock- either stockpiled or some other- we have them some other way. What is the way that we bring back, you know, I guess, manufacturing of these things back to the United States? Yeah. So I think, you know, that's, that's kind of my area, you know, as a chemical engineer. I mean, I've dealt, you know, we we deal with pharmaceuticals and, you know, rare earth elements, which are two things that China really controls the industry of. And it's, it's, it's about diversifying, diversifying our portfolio, right? We don't, it would be nice to make everything in America, but at the same time, just for national security, if something happens to the American supply, you know, as, as, as a supplier, you don't want to make everything in one place in one business. So if something happens, your entire supply is down. Right? So putting everything in China is a really bad decision. I think we should bring majority of it back to America because we need to increase American jobs. And at the end of the day, we know that we can really only rely on ourselves. And we, you know, we've seen that right now with China where, we, you know, we thought that we can bring our businesses there and we learned we couldn't, but I think we need to also diversify the portfolio. And China's given a lot of incentive to co- American companies to go there, but it's time we, we bring them back. And I think they realize the importance where we even see it in the fashion industry, you know, a lot of uh, different uh, clothing lines are going down and I don't work for the fashion industry. I don't have, um, you know, close ties in the fashion industry, but I can only guess it's because the, the production and design areas in, in different countries are down now. And now what do they do? There's nothing here in America. 
And so I think we need to start bringing things back, and I think we will. But I also think it's diversifying portfolios where taking stuff out of China, bringing it back to America, and also diversifying it a little bit in other countries so that in case something happens in America, something happens in another country, we have supplies that we can reach into and take out to protect Americans. Gabe? Well, no, I think that's a very fair point in ensuring that you don't have all your, uh, your all of your eggs parched in one basket, because this whole pandemic has, I think, woken a lot of people up to how fragile uh, a lot of businesses uh, really were to something like this. And I mean, it's really uh, horrible. By the, the restaurant right by me, uh, across the street from me, that just opened in 2018 is now closed. They didn't, they weren't able, they're not able to come back to, those guys aren't able to come back to their jobs. Um, and this is, it isn't a manufacturing business uh, per se, but just this entire pandemic, I feel, has shown that we need to be prepared for something like this next time. I think we did get a little bit too comfortable, but at the same time, this wasn't our fault. And I personally believe that on the federal level, we've done a lot of things right. But here in the state level, and even for me in the city, it's become more a game of politics than it has of actual um, listening to doctors and medicine and actual science. Oh, it's one of the, it's one of the complaints that I have about uh, Governor Cuomo. You know, I mean, I I don't know if what he's doing is effective or not, and I think a lot of us don't, even though we all like to think that he's doing something. But it was one of those games of politics where you know they come out and they do something and say. Um, you know, I, I'm doing what's in the best interest of everyone else, right? But if Republican governors now are reopening the economy and a lot of Americans are screaming, we're hurting. You know, a lot of New Yorkers are screaming, we're hurting. Our businesses are down. We don't have an income. Our families are struggling. Like, we're hurting and nothing's being done about that. And I think that's a concern that people need to look at, you know, when it comes to just politics and talking politics. He may have good ratings right now, but what's going on with all those Americans and New Yorkers that are hurting? What's, what is he doing for them? He's doing basically nothing. He's holding us hostage for a bailout from the federal government. When we were $6 billion in debt before the coronavirus, now apparently we're $61 billion in debt. And he's going to hold us hostage for that bailout. He's going to say, we're going to have to cut police. We're going to have to cut fire. We're going to have to cut teachers. Instead of cutting, um, you know, all this other spending that he's doing. in cutting, programs. Yeah, cut, welfare programs. You know, all this other stuff where it's excessive spending you know, Medi- whichever one, Medicaid, Medicare, I always mix those two up. The one that's going, that's giving healthcare to illegal immigrants, cut the funding to that. Why should our children suffer and lose after school programs, which a lot of these parents need, and you're going to give free college, driver's licenses, and healthcare to illegal immigrants? It, 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 it's asinine. They have rights, which is oxymoronic because people who have rights belong to the country, and the country has, a, has the ability to protect their citizens as they're a sovereign nation my thoughts at least no i think i think governor cuomo disagrees gay <laughs> i'm sorry about uh fiora cuomo that he no sorry it was hair hair cuomo fear her de blasio Wilhelm de blasio <laughs> but you're the um yeah we're talking you know a lot of americans are struggling and washington is just printing money uh their latest three trillion dollar here was it the heroes act the heroes act right <laughs> which passed in the house tapes. it's a great name which will be shot dead in the Senate. Listen, I've said it before. The Democrats are very good at public relations. They know how to portray themselves as, you know, the champion of the people, when in reality, they are just the champion of the government. 
but this thing will get shot down. But how do we get, I guess my question is, how do we get the money to the people who need it without all this extra garbage in these bills? You know, they're putting money in for illegal immigrants. They're putting money in for all this stuff that has nothing to do with helping out the people or helping out small businesses. How, how are you going to be able to fight back in the house against someone like Nancy Pelosi who apparently has an iron grip on a lot of the members in the house. I think it's about calling it out for what it is, right? They, they get away with messaging the way they message, right? Where they have the heroes act, you know, they have their, they, they message things, things in ways that they make it almost seem like they're the good guys and being able to come back and say, no, you're not the good guys, right? We can all message this the same. And I think that's the importance of having minorities in Congress and on the Republican Party as well, where we can say when they start speaking to, you know, oh, the, uh, the minorities that are struggling with this and this, and we can come up and say, no, you know, that's not what we want. That's not what's going to help us. That's not true. And just throwing the truth in their face, because right now they're getting away with lying and there's nobody that's able to stand up to them and say from a different perspective, that that's not true. You know, this is what you're trying to do. Like, just call them out for their BS. Okay. Right. Oh, um, I say this sarcastically, of course, but the best way to get us out of this is just print more money. You know, that's what we got to do. <laughs> got to get those numbers up. You got to get the, we got to chop down as many trees as possible because, you know, you got to deforest the area uh, to then put up the, uh, the wind turbines, which will give everyone jobs apparently and help us with our energy crisis or However, the Democrats want to label it. And then we'll use the timber to print more money. Um, so, you know, just kidding, of course, again. Uh, but I think it's, this uh, situation is really funny uh, that they do, the Democrats do have a great PR team. And they created the Dreamers. They, they called, uh, you know, these, these little uh, illegal, you know, immigrant children, uh, you know, Dreamers. And I wish that I, too, could commit social security fraud and identity fraud and still get away with it just because I dream. And that's the case that we see with these things. But again, it's wordplay. It's to plan your emotions. Yeah, but I mean, you know, it's like, it, it's, as I had a Democrat interview me the other day and they asked, you know, what are you going to do about, you know, all the people at the border who are trying to come over? And, you know, and it was funny because that morning I actually spoke to an uh, immigrant from Mexico. My, my uh, mm-hmm. district has a large uh, Central American uh, population. And I, I just spoke to him that morning and he was almost crying on the phone saying that he came over and he left his family from uh, when he was a little kid and it was the hardest thing he ever had to do. And right. now the taxes are so high, he may have to move out and leave his family again and he just can't bear it. And I told the guy on the phone, I'm like, you know, it's, it's, you're messaging it one way, but that's not true. Like, you know, there, there's pain on both sides and Basically, for all intents and purposes, get your facts straight before you put emotion into it. Yeah, but not even that. Like, if you want to strike out and, you know, make your way in America, sometimes you have to make sacrifices. My grandfather came here from Germany at 13. He had to leave his entire family behind. They all ended up being murdered in the Holocaust. But he had to come here. He had to be sponsored. He had to stay with his uncle. You know, he had to learn English. He had to make a lot of sacrifices in order to have a better life for my mom and her sister eventually. And then for us, you know, you have to make sacrifices. This whole issue is that everyone wants, they want the end game. 
but they don't want the struggle. They don't want the sacrifice. You can't have everything you want in life. That's not the way it works. If you want to have, a, you want to make a million dollars or you want to be a lawyer, or you want to be, you know, all of these things, a doctor, you have to put in the work. You're not going to have the family life that you want. You're not going to have these things. You have to make a choices in your life and you have to be willing to live with those choices. You mm-hmm. don't become a millionaire by sitting on your ass. You, it doesn't happen. And people aren't willing to concede that. That's very true. And, you know, we've said this on the show before that um, financial literacy is something that a lot of people should be, you know, taking into account and in how to better them, themselves in their situation. But one of the first jobs I actually worked was um, at a suit store called Quails. And I, you know, my store where I was working at has a very high um, immigrant population, whether it be legal or illegal. But when I would speak to um, my clientele or my uh, customers, I would ask them, well, like, you know, what part of, uh, you know, South America are you from? You know, I noticed your accent. They'd be like, oh, Colombian, Ecuadorian, and then they'll go down the wherever, their origin. And then they would say, you know, honestly, I thought the U.S. would be different. I'm like, why? They said, because it's so much work to live here and to, you know, be happy here. And I said, yes, yes, it is, because it doesn't come easy. You have to, you, but that money that you're making here is worth a lot more money than what you're making back there. And you have to kind of be appreciative for what you got. And if you're not satisfied, continue looking for ways to network to, uh, and, and continue to build your profile. Yeah. You have to work to improve your station in life. The people think that, oh, I went to a four-year college. Someone's going to hand me a job. We had all those Occupy Wall Street people. Hey, geniuses, <laughs> there was no jobs in finance. Why did you major in finance? Like, people, you need to use your head. If You're not guaranteed anything in this life. I would love to be a professional hockey player. Guess what? It's not going to happen. It was never going to happen. I didn't start playing ice hockey until I was like 15 years old. It wasn't going to happen. I needed to start at three and I needed to be probably a little bit taller. But, you know, everyone wants what they want and they're not willing to just realize that if you really want something, sometimes you don't get that dream job. But if you want to make a million dollars, maybe you have to work in an industry you hate. Just the way it is. But moving on to our last little segment, um, you, just, you told us about a little story, a little inside information you had on everyone's favorite congresswoman, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and her little Green New Deal um, while you were at Columbia. So if you can just give the listeners at home that story, that would be greatly appreciated. Yes. So I, I'm an environmental engineer, and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez uh, tries to make that her issue, which, you know, is fine if, I guess there's a little bit more science behind it, but, you know, having been in the lab and, you know, researching uh, this topic, I was at Columbia University and her writer came to our group of environmental engineers and asked us to join the meeting to work on the Green New Deal. I think they kind of wanted that technical expertise, whether they really wanted it or they just wanted to put it on a paper, uh, I'll never know, but they asked us to join and there was a lot of uh, policy majors uh, as well and policy experts from Columbia University that were there. And I went with my friend and I knew what, was I, what I was getting myself into. You know, I knew exactly what it was about. And I went in to just kind of question them, you know, hear what they had to say. And I sat down and asked them, you know, how do you plan on paying for this? You know, first they came up with this whole big plan, you know, that went from here till, you know, the end of the world. And I said, wow, that sounds like a lot. How do you plan on paying for that? 
And they spoke about the government having an unlimited amount of money, you know, kind of brushed saying, you know, well, we, there's a lot of money in the federal government. And I said, but that's coming from us. You know, like you can't, there isn't an unlimited amount of money and you never asked us if we wanted to pay for this. So now you're saying that this is something that you're making us all invest in. So let's see if we even want to invest in it, right? Let's see if it's even a good idea because you're about to use our money for this. We should have a say. And so they start, you know, we went on and they started talking about the technical uh, side of things or, you know, what, what they considered the technical side of things, um, which was mostly just messaging and, um, you know, talking points and things like that uh, with some, with some ideas, which um, you know, I'm not sure are, are the smartest ideas, um, like getting rid of flights and things, but uh, just they started throwing out um, that we can go completely renewable by tomorrow. And I don't know, you know, where they heard that. Um, and the, the woman that was there said, that someone in DC had told them, you know, word was going around DC, like this was an official thing, that we can go completely renewable by tomorrow. And I was with a group of environmental engineers and we kind of all looked at each other and nobody wanted to say anything. And, you know, I turned around and I was like, but we'll last for 20 minutes. It's like, you know, we can't just completely switch to renewable by tomorrow. First of all, that's a massive, massive cost that we'll have to incur, right? The benefit of it is, you know, you haven't even listed the benefit of it. Will it be more reliable, right? They're not supporting, when they say that they want to go, um, you know, zero emissions, you know, and the whole Green Party decides that they're not supporting nuclear. Right? So it's, it's just, it's so hypocritical. And there's just so much kind of in the basic uh, science that was lacking from what they had available. And it was just all messaging like, oh, we should get rid of this. We should get rid of that. We should get rid of this. And I think we can all agree that it's good to clean up the environment, right? There's so much science that we don't understand. And there's so much that we don't know really what all the pollution in the, uh, in the atmosphere can do to us. And it can hurt to clean it up, right? If we can, if, I think we all support cleaning the environment. The question is, does the government force impose their control onto our lives to clean up the environment? And that's the question, at what cost? Right. We all agree that we should clean up the environment and it's always good to have clean air. We buy air fresheners in our house. You know, all want clean air. We want to live a healthier life, but at what cost? And that's the thing that they just fail to address. And I mean, getting rid of planes, you know, I don't even know if that would even be a good idea, but, you know, just going to renewable. I, I went to a, um, uh, it was a plastics recycling plant in Brooklyn. And I spoke to them there, they had a wind turbine. And I said, oh, cool, you know, a lot of places in New York City don't have wind turbines, that's kind of unique. Um, how, does this, how, how, is this, how is this working for you? You know, how efficient is it? How much energy are you getting out of it? And they said it works about 14 to 17% of the year. And I said, wow, you know, and it keeps jamming up, you know, and they keep, it costs a lot of money for maintenance. And the blades aren't, don't even last that long. They have to re be replaced. In these the technology just isn't there. I think, you know, we right. support, you know, renewable energy and we want, how cool would it be if we can really all get our energy from the sun? Like that would be amazing, but we need the technology to be there so that we're not just throwing something onto people that doesn't work and saying, pay for it. And then you'll be left with nothing. But that's how, how we do it's all flash, no substance. It's everything looks good on paper, but there's nothing there that, to execute it. And when you're talking about people's lives, that's so dangerous. When you're talking about people's lives and saying, give me everything you have, give me your entire bank account, I'll develop, I'll give you this wind turbine, and then it only works 14 to 17% of the year, then that person suffers, that person is hurt. 
I mean, the government has solved the war on drugs and on poverty, and they created world peace. I mean, that's, we've trusted the government to do all that. I mean, they can't even run the post office at a profit. It's been in the red for 12 years. Like, this is ridiculous. I don't understand why anyone would trust the government to do anything. <laughs> my, my question is, is this, and it, it really just um, came to me as you, as you were explaining this. How would you address let's say we eventually start to develop a technology where we can move away from, uh, you know, let's say coal or from, uh, from drilling or fracking. How would you, and, and we have a great opportunity to, you know, use solar. What happens to the people that lose their, their jobs because, you know, solar is the way to go now in energy. Yeah. I don't think we should ever get rid of one, uh, one form of energy. You know, I don't think we should ever get rid of anything entirely. I think we always need, a diverse portfolio so that everything can balance each other out, right? If you have a hurricane, you'll need one form of energy and the other ones will go out. So I don't think we should ever get rid of one. Um, you know, I think in terms of coal and in terms of, you know, what the environmental sector calls dirty energies, um, it's, it's, there's a lot of information that I guess the science world has that other people haven't had for some reason, but it's, there's a lot of technologies that can clean up the feed. Right. I think we don't want dirty feeds coming out. We see in, you know, in China without this uh, coronavirus, they walk around in the summer uh, in certain areas with masks just because of all the pollution. Right. In uh, South Korea, they get the pollution also at times where the winds are directed that way and they have to wear masks, too. Right. So we don't want to do that. We want a clean environment. We want uh, clean air. But there are actually technologies that clean up the feed. And, you know, there are technologies that can recycle, uh, you know, take take the fumes and the feed coming out of different forms of energy and turn it into something else. Um, you know, sometimes you can clean it up and put it back to the normal form of energy it is. So I think we don't actually need to get rid of, you know, what, what they don't have an investment in or for some reason they don't support. I think we can clean up those forms of energy to clean up the environment because that's always what you want to do. You know, whenever if there's new technology that, hey, you know, someone walk, knocks on your door and says, hey, I have this new thing that can clean up your house. Like, cool, I'll go for that. It's always better to have a cleaner feed and a cleaner environment. So I think that's something that, you know, the, each individual company, um, I think, would be investing in and I think should be investing in it. Um, but I also think you don't want to get rid or, or really demote a certain form of energy. And we've seen it in the nuclear industry, you know, where now the nuclear industry has been chastised so much. And now the fact that it doesn't uh, release any emissions and people are realizing the technology we have is actually safe. And, you know, energy is actually a safe form of energy. It's it's really just been hurt because of the messaging bites that people put out when really it could have helped us for so much and decreased our energy costs. That's one of the biggest benefits of nuclear energy. I see. Wow. And you know, you're not actually the, uh, the only one who's had an incident with uh, some of the AOC crew uh, back when she was running, I actually got to meet her, take um, her campaign manager in Queens or uh, whoever she was at the time at a homeowners association meeting. And they were talking, she was talking about how not only does she want to abolish uh, ICE, but she wanted to cut military spending because, you know, we're just spending too much on bombs. That was her biggest thing, they were spending too much on bombs. And I was really stunned. So afterwards, I called up to, her, to the manager and I asked her, I said, so why was your focus on like, you know, this the military technology that we're, you know, that is, that we're using, that we're actually using and developing and it's getting better and better. Why do you want to cut back on that sort of research? And why do you want to cut back on the amount of uh, deterrence that we have? 
And she said, well, because we're not using them. I said, yes, that's why they are deterrents, so that we don't drop them, A. And B, if we're going to an area that will have no civilian casualties or effects on, on the, the population once the conflict is over, why would we send, you know, 50 guys to a compound when we can just drop one bomb because we know that it's going to hit them? Because it helps us minimize our casualty rate and get back home. <coughs> Excuse me. And her campaign, her campaign manager's response literally was, well, my father served. That was it. That's a great response. I mean, that just solves everything, Gabe. Right. And I said, well, thank you for your father's service. And then she said, well, you know, even, um, I think she said either, either, even Reagan or was it Kennedy that's even well, warned us about the industrial uh, military uh, complex. I said, yeah, I think we should all be worried about corporatism. But the fact of the matter is that this technology is, is what, what we have in the military is to ensure that people get back home. The point isn't just to send boots on the ground with a stick, you know, yell charge, because we're trying to just cut back on our defense spending. Because we've seen that every time that we lower it, someone thinks that they can step up and be aggressive. Yeah, it's funny. I, I should start using that. My grandfather did serve, so I should just start using that now. Mine did too. I'm going to start using that. that that's, that's yeah. <laughs> no, but it's, I, I think it's kind of what also you see in China, right? Where they have the argument of we should trust other countries. We should just trust them. And you know, what we see in China, what we see with the, uh, you know, nuclear treaty, it's, we can't trust another country because mainly because they don't have our best interest in mind. Right. I, I just heard recently that we gave uh, during the Obama administration, our country gave money to China to research uh, the effects of coronavirus on bats. Um, you know, and, I mean, whether that's, you know, if that was true, and I just recently heard it, I haven't had time to look into it, but if that's true, it, the fact that they basically took advantage of us, right? Like, we can't trust other countries. We can't trust China. And, oh, there was no congressional oversight. That was kind of the clincher. And, you know, where we can't trust another country to do the right thing. I think as people, we're all good people, and we would do the right thing by someone else but there are people and countries out there that don't have the best interests of our country in mind. And I think it, I think it was in 2012 or something when China, uh, during a conference with uh, Austria or Australia, uh, said that their plan was to take over the world, um, you know, so that they, they want to. And, you know, it's, these countries don't have our best interests in mind. We need to be able to defend ourselves. And they can sweet talk us and they can say whatever they want. But at the end of the day, when we have the responsibility to take care of American citizens, we need to take that seriously and do what's in the best interest to make sure that nobody gets hurt. Awesome. I agree. I think that I think that's a good place to stop. Yeah. Um, if you could just tell the folks at home where they can find you online and where they can donate to your campaign, should they choose to do so? Yes. So you can find me online at www yehudisforcongress.com. So that's Y-E-H-U-D-I-S-F-O-R-Congress.com. And you could donate there as well. Uh, social media, my handle is yehudis uh, Y. So that's Y-E-H-U-D-I-S for F-O-R-N-Y. All right, guys, for that, that is our show. Make sure that you follow Gabe on social media. Gabe, tell the people where they can find you on social media. It's too many different things. All right, thank you so much. So you can now find me on Google if you just type in Gabriel Montalvo and select news. Uh, but I won't bore you with that. Uh, 
on Instagram, you can type in Baron.Montalvo and on Twitter, Baron underscore Montalvo. And I'll keep it that way because it pisses off Evan. And you can find me on Facebook at Gabriel E. Montalvo. And if you support the Hispanic conservative movement, please check us out and send us a message at uh, Republican National Hispanic Assembly, New York chapter on Facebook. And guys, make sure you check out Gabe's article that's on EmpireStateConservNetwork.com. Hopefully there will be many, many more to follow um, if he doesn't get too famous for us. But guys, make sure, to, <laughs> make sure to follow us on Instagram at GetRedPilled on Y, on Facebook at Empire State Conservatives, on Twitter at Empire State Cons. And make sure that you listen to our show on any audio platform. Remember, we get a little bit of money every time you listen. So that is any audio platform besides SoundCloud, Empire State Conservatives Podcast. <laughs> And make sure you check out our store at EmpireStateConcernNetwork.com slash store for all of our amazing snowflake melting gear. That, wash your hands and don't let fear take your freedom. Uh-huh.